Welcome to Hannibal's Morning Hibachi, a weekly dinner party where we watch and discuss an episode of Brian Fuller's Hannibal. This week we discuss the episode Coquille, which first aired April 25th, 2013. In this episode, Will walks the streets semi-nude, Hannibal finally has the Crawfords <laughs> over for dinner, and Jack figures something out. So... This episode begins with Will sleepwalking down the road in obviously below freezing weather. You can see his breasts. And he's being followed by the raven stag. So is he being forced to walk because of the raven stag? Or is he feel it, it's compelling him to walk? Like, what do you think of that raven stag in this moment? Oh, we're not introducing ourselves? Oh, yeah, sorry, I forgot with that. <laughs> I'm Sonia. <laughs> but, uh, I'm Sonia. <laughs> Sonia just got back from New York, so she's just a little... I'm tired. <laughs> frazzled. I am tired. I wrote this on the plane. <laughs> Alright. I am Sonia, your friendly neighborhood true crime nerd, and this week, the, only the host because I was busy. <laughs> so. I'm Celeste. I'm new to Hannibal. I am a nerd, an artist, and I love a good story. This is JJ. I'm a local filmmaker, local nerd, and the uh, main fanable of the so back to what I was saying. <laughs> yeah. So Will um, is obviously walking barefoot down a cold high, a Virginia highway near his house mm. with the stag following him. The raven stag. Yeah. Is he being forced to walk by the stag or is the stag keeping watch on him? What did you think that symbolized? <laughs> I, I didn't really have like a, a thought of what that means. I was kind of like thrown back like the, because he was walking by himself and I was like, oh my gosh, it's cold out, I can see his breath. And then I see the deer behind him and it's like. That's odd. Yeah, that's so <laughs> odd. It's kind of like nudging his, like, his hand, so maybe he was like kind of like pushing him forward. But I don't know. I always saw it as, well, we all know it's like a metaphor, right? <laughs> a big giant ass metaphor. Um, and I always, yeah, I always saw it as like, that's, that little thing picking at the back of his head saying, you know, like, Will, you know something's wrong. <laughs> you know something's wrong. You know who it actually, like, where the root of all your troubles are from. <laughs> well, and uh, this episode could be called Will, Something's Wrong, because, like, it is basically Will um, trying to figure out if something's wrong with him, because he, he gets uh, taken in by the cops when he's found wandering. He um, actually, uh, like, we'll talk about it later, but he speaks to Bev about... Um, what she would do if something was wrong with herself. Mm. And then she has a cute line of like, well, you wouldn't know, but I'd tell you. And so I was like, oh my God, so cute. But anyway, <laughs> back, back to the start of the episode. I like that Winston was taking care of him. Like, uh, yeah. none of the other dogs followed what that little... I know, so cute. <laughs> I feel like cards beside his name when I wrote this down. <laughs> <laughs> it's like so cute that he kept him to make sure he's safe. <laughs> well, and Winston is like, I guess, it is supposed to be the fan favorite just because he gets the most time. But I think that he, um, as a character, I guess, as a character, Winston is a really, um, really thankful to Will. And I guess he wants to make sure that he is okay and better and do all he can to make sure that Will's safe. Like, I think he's an audience surrogate, I guess. <laughs> well, I think out of all the dogs, too, since he's the newest to the pack, he wouldn't feel the the command to stay home as strong. He'd probably be just like, hey, where's, where's, that, guy? where's that guy who feeds me? <laughs> so <laughs> he'd probably follow him. So, yeah, Will's mental health and health in general is on the downswing this episode. And so he goes to meet with Hannibal. I love that. 
Where the first place he goes. <laughs> he's like, so Hannibal's kitchen is open to friends, apparently. But how many people do you actually see in that kitchen throughout the course of the show? Hannibal, Abigail, and Will is who you only see in the show. That's hardly spoiling it, but it still makes me laugh. Wasn't Alana? Oh, yeah, Alana's in there, too. Yeah. 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 But she's... But, but, but how does he don't like her? <laughs> well, it's terrible. I'm biased. So I'm like, oh, you forgot Atlanta. Not really. But but I also, um, like, what was he making him again? I cannot remember. Coffee. Like, uh, the, uh, what was it? Sorry. You made him coffee. Coffee? Why? He's like, he's, does he want him to stay away more? What are you sleepwalking? Leave him alone. Well, what else, what else other business do you do in the morning? You know, it's like you invite someone in. Want a cup of coffee? You know, so that's what you do. And if Hannibal's making you coffee, it's freaking French press. It's I don't drink coffee. It's bad for you. I say as I drink four Coke Zeros in the morning. I'm just like I drink my Tim Hortons coffee. It's like coffee's bad for your your lungs. No, it's not. But uh, was it? I really like how Hannibal is pitting Jack and Will at each other, telling Will that Jack is using him as. Uh, what, what I can't read my notes, but anyway, he's he has a devil's bargain with Will to, uh, and basically his health is going down because of it. Mm. And I really like that the con- uh, the mirror side of that with Jack uh, Hannibal's conversations with Jack are always him supporting uh, Jack's need to push Will. Like it's always funny to see how each side of the conversation goes between them. Mm. So it's like love that. I don't know. It's just like um, Will starts to suspect that something's going on because he actually calls Hannibal out on it. I really was like, "Yeah, go, baby." <laughs> so, oh, when that when they're in the office and he's, yeah. and he's, he's like, "Are him? you trying to antagonize me to Jack?" No, I believe the line is. <laughs> are you trying to Are you trying to alienate me from Jack Crawford? Yes, he is. <laughs> he's so aware in this episode. Yeah, he's I'm really just, like super proud of him. <laughs> yeah, like um, he is like just. Uh, yeah, I think I actually wrote it. He's really observant this episode, especially with um, something at the end I'll talk about. But um, He's observant, and yet he still lets people like deflect him to yeah. like, stop thinking about it. Because right after that, you know, Hannibal says, um, I'm, help- I'm trying to help you figure out this angel maker, which is the killer in this episode. And so he goes right, in, but right back into that, and just like completely lets that thought kind of flutter away and puts it away somewhere else. And it's like, it's like no, you were so close. But speaking of the angel maker, um, the crime scene is discovered in the motel, and the local police beg Jack's crew to take the case. Since this is the same sort of mo that most small town cops will do when they uncover a crime scene of a serial killer. I think that uh, a few of um, the big serial murders that happen in small towns, the police are almost like ready to pass the buck because it's like two guys working at the small little town. <laughs> they don't want to solve the crime. <laughs> it's like they're jumping into each other's arms like Scooby-Doo because it's so horrifying. <laughs> it's like, I'm taking early retirement. But um, one of the things they mentioned on the show is uh, blood eagles. They actually don't kill you immediately. Uh, you actually take out your lungs, right? And lungs will the lungs will inflate and deflate on your back if unpunctured, uh, so it's really gross. I actually seen pictures of how, <laughs> woodcuts of how it looks, and I'm like, oh, now I want to see what it looks like in real life. Not really, <laughs> but it was really gross. I was like, oh, they're talking about blood eagles. My research is done. Yeah, it's a big thing in the Viking era. They loved torturing people back then. I know it was funny when I was I was rewatching the show for for research because I was taking notes and stuff, and I'm like, okay, so. 
And as I look up, my husband's watching Vikings on TV. <laughs> and sure enough, that exact like thing is on the screen. They're they're hanging someone up, and he's skins up and making the wings and everything. And I was like, oh yes, now apparently the Vikings did it too. They say that in the episode. So there you go. There's proof. It's in another show. <laughs> well, it was one of the subtle. The, the removal of the skin from the back was also a shout out to. It seemed like a shout out to Buffalo Bill and Silence of the Lambs, who. As you remember, most people who have seen Silence of the Lambs, he removes this, uh, he, the, the first victim we see has uh, pieces of her, of her back missing for his woman suit. Mm-hmm. So it was pretty cool to see. I was like, oh, they're doing a shout out. <laughs> I thought, well, I read shout outs into everything. I'm like, look at that dog. It's a shout out. <laughs> <laughs> look found, at that tree. <laughs> I actually found the technical term for it. It's actually called flaying. Yeah. Also, a uh, quick, quick. Quickly, I can't freaking say it. Never mind. Coquil. Uh, <laughs> uh, also known as skinning, but yeah, like the technical term is flaying. So it's like Ooh, I think flaying is like the worst word in the world because it sounds like it, what it does. So like flaying. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know because you ever have those moments where you accidentally get a hangnail and you like oh, pull it out. Yeah, yeah that's, that's what so I. Well, that's what reminds me of flaying. I'm like, I'm but with your whole body. <laughs> But, oh, okay, so we talked about how Hannibal finally has the Crawfords over for dinner. Mm. I think Bella is such a sad character in a bittersweet way. Like, I, anybody, uh, like, maybe it's because I'm obsessed with the actress, but I like that she plays, uh, like, she she's not really sympathetic to me. Like, I understand her choices, but I think that if it was played by a lesser actress, you would have hated her for being so, um... Not selfish. Not selfish, but like distant. Yeah, for being so distant to to a husband that's obviously trying to help her and understand what's going on. But I am like, the dinner party is also the start of Hannibal's creepy ass sniffing of others, (laughs) which uh, apparently you he can well he can smell illnesses. Certain illnesses do give off scents, but only in the later terminal stages. Mm. So I guess Hannibal has that special superpower where he can smell them in like the stage one version of the cancer but yeah I, I like that too when I was watching that scene again I was like like when he says that I smelled my professor's uh, pancre- pancreatic cancer uh, before he even knew before he even knew he did and then he looks at Bella in that scene and it's just like well I guess we know I smell it but yes. but in the in the moment he says your perfume is exquisite yeah you know, he comments that you know it's your perfume but it's like a weird subtle ass way of like he knows. I can smell your yeah. cancer Thanks, Apple. Well, and it's like a, this episode is really foreshadowy. Like later in um, in the uh, in the episode where, or later when they're in the forensic office, um, there's a shot of Will rubbing the bridge of his nose with a MRI or an ep- an X-ray of a skull in the background. Like a, it was like subtle as hell. Like it was, but it makes more sense later on once you find out what's really going on. Yeah, a little bit of little foreshadowing. Yeah, it's like, man, this is foreshadowing the movie, basically. <laughs> but it's just like, cause I, never, um, I only watched the show, like, my first run through, so I haven't rewatched it only for this. I've only seen it twice. And, like, so that if, once for my own personal enjoyment and once for this podcast. Mm-hmm. So I'm really surprised by how many things they foreshadow before we actually see them. Like, we get to speak, we get to see Bella and. Um, Jack's relationship uh, before we actually see Bella. We get to see Hannibal's ability to smell illnesses mm. and what, what comes up later when he does it with Will. 
And yeah, it's just like, I don't know, like, it, once you go through it again, knowing what you know, you're like, oh my god, they keep like referencing this. I would have been like saving myself for all of this. So <laughs> it's like it's an incredibly rich show, right? There's just so many layers, and like that's what I love about rewatching it is there's just like maybe it's less you'll get when, when we're all done, <laughs> and someday when you get to rewatch it all, you, you catch everything you missed, and it's like look at all this stuff. And I love a show, or mostly with movies for me, but like I love anything where you can rewatch it over again and just mm -hmm. enjoy it all over again. It's who knows? Well, like, uh, it was like what Celeste was saying last episode about that scene with Jack and Bella in the bed, and Jack, uh, Jack's like, should we try for kids? And she's like, is it too late to have kids? And she's like, it is for me. First time I saw that, I was like, well, what does she mean? And then you realize, oh, yeah, she knows mm -hmm. that she has cancer, and she's going to die pretty soon. And I'm like... So sad. Yeah, it's just terrible. I'm just like, this whole episode was just so heartbreaking for me on, in terms of Bella. Like, I, I don't know, I really... Love the actress, so I was of course gonna fall in love with her. And, and uh, spoiler alert: um, Larry Fishburne, who plays Jack and Gina Torres, are married in real life. So there's a lot of really heartbreaking. Mm -hmm. What's the word I'm looking for? Heartbreaking subtext to that because they're they are a married couple in real life and obviously really really in love. And they're playing this couple who are about to be separated by her illness. And it's just like hard to take, you know what I mean? Because I'm like, you could tell that they're probably playing in on those emotions of their real life love for each other. I love calling him Larry Fishburne, by the way. I'm never going to call him Lawrence. <laughs> it's like, hey, we're friends. We can call you Larry, can I? Yeah, close enough. <laughs> uh, oh, I wanted to ask you about the dinner, speaking of which. Uh, the for. I can't speak French today. <laughs> for quoi? With, with warm figs. Now, is that actually. Or is it people? What do you think? It's people. People every time. <laughs> every people single, every single time. time. Yep. Even if they don't, even if they say that there's, um, like, say, like, the meat went through the forensic lab and they, they said, no, there's no people in it. It would have had, like, people oil or people, like, butter on it, you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> people <laughs> butter. <laughs> even you know what it's not Oh, well, it would be breast milk. Oh, gross. <laughs> But what would be be the limits of Hannibal farming people for food? <laughs> like, I don't know. It's just like it's. I don't know. <laughs> it's like feels like a lot of work, and I feel like maybe for their first meal, he would have served them like actual. Oh, you're on. Yeah. I wonder if he would. Like, um, I always like I'm with Celeste. I always assume it's people. <laughs> like every single. I feel single like he's like snarky enough to always be people to his guests. Oh yeah, especially it's like <laughs> and I mean, he has like a personal like pleasure of like watching them eat human without them knowing. Was it a sexual pleasure or is it just it's like just a ooh, 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 ooh. <laughs> the second one <laughs> yeah I think it's just yeah it's just makes it feel good it's like <laughs> in uh, a power way well and it's like you're enjoying this uh, obviously ta taboo I almost said tattoo taboo um, <laughs> taboo thing and you don't know it it's like uh, I'm watching you but you don't know it I'm watching it like, so. I like how he says I employ an ethical butcher and I was like are you talking about yourself? <laughs> 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 you lie well what is an ethical butcher like um, I think that's like a weird like contradictory thing yeah it's like you still kill the thing you didn't die of like loneliness <laughs> so. yeah it's like because I, I was thinking about that, like, uh, my friend actually is uh, heavily into, like, local foods, right? So, uh, she also told me about, like, uh, what was it? 
uh, animal friendly leather. So the the cows die of old age. <laughs> they take the leather. <laughs> like, man, it reminds me of that Simpsons quote where um, Lisa is a vegetarian and her dad's trying to get her to eat some meat at a football game, and she's like, "Hey, you ham hock uh, veal." And Lisa's like, do you have anything that wasn't horribly slaughtered? And then Homer's like, I don't know, the veal might have died of loneliness. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I think that hipster culture of like um, PETA, uh, PETA supported butchers or like uh, hipster butchers, I think that's a bit of an oxymoron, you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. it's like, try, quit trying to justify eating meat. Like, or quit trying to justify to yourself that it's not murdering them, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, because you're still eating them. Yeah, it's like, um, I remember a friend used to make fun of me for hunting, and I'm like, dude, at least I know, like, what, what's going into me. Like, well, I don't hunt that much anymore, but I understand the concept of it. Like, um, when I was in Bangladesh, uh, when, uh, they, they slaughtered the animals halal style under Muslim faith. So halal style is you slit their throats. So I was in a meat market in Bangladesh, and they're like, oh, we're going to, like, have um, beef today. And I was like, okay, I haven't seen any beef around here. And then they bring the cow in, and, like, <laughs> it was the worst thing I'd ever seen. And I love go-around movies, but I was just turning pale and then green as it was, like, stumbling down as it died. I'm like, <laughs> And the smell was the worst thing. Like, the worst part of that, that whole trip, though, is when they were going to kill a, a goat. And the goat could smell everything that had happened previously, so it kept trying to like hold its feet down, so it could like the, they were actually pulling it. Wow, oh, it's the weirdest thing. It's that like so sad. That was so sad. Yeah. I, I mean, was, I still eat meat, but <laughs> I don't like hearing about it. Oh yeah, it's like that line from uh, the island. Like, just because you want to have a burger doesn't mean you want to meet the cow. Like, I, I can't understand. Like, it was about like the island is about um, people creating clones to harvest their organs. So say Jenna had, uh, or <laughs> say JJ had <laughs> had uh, inoperable liver cancer, Just and she revealed my identity. <laughs> I said the name of the show. Anyway, <laughs> so JJ had inoperable liver cancer, but she was also the Tsar of Russia. So she, so as the Tsar of Russia, she decides that she wants to clone herself to get uh, a new liver. So in the island, they cloned the, the whole person just to harvest, kill them to harvest their organs. And it was a stupid movie because I was like, why wouldn't you just grow the part you needed, not the, <laughs> but the whole person? They said that the, the excuse they give in the movie is that you um, don't, uh, you live a full life so the liver's all happy and stuff. So it has lived a full life. And I'm like, that's a dumb reason. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But it's like the cow thing. It's like, oh yeah, I didn't play ethical butcher. Like, what does it do? Like, choke it out and stuff. <laughs> like, what does that mean? I gotta look that up. Hold on. Okay. Talk amongst yourselves. JJ, do you have anything in your notes? Yeah. I feel so dumb, too. Like, I totally, like, thought, like, this, this must have been the episode where all the friggin' Alpha, Omega, Beta stuff stemmed from because of... Hannibal sniffing everybody. I thought of you when that scene <laughs> happened. I was like, oh man, JD would have loved this. Because he's like, actually walked over to Will and like leaned down and, and sniffed him. Did you just smell me? <laughs> I love the awkward look that, w- that Hannibal gives Will at being caught. That was my favorite scene because it was the first it's like, time. like, play cool, man. Because it's the first time you ever see Hannibal taken aback at something. You know what I mean? Like, that was the first time you ever see him go, like, oh, I was almost caught there for a second. 
Okay, oh. appa- apparently ethical butchering is a form of sustainable uh, sustainable butchery, I guess. Uh, local food. Well, that's weird. <laughs> I'm just like, it's still butchering. Anyway, go ahead. But, okay. <laughs> but yeah, I was just going to say, I think that's like kind of the root of uh, that, that whole side of fan fiction, too. Just because like... Alpha Omega Meta has a, a lot of its uh, writings has a lot to do with uh, smelling pheromones and just you know etc. Et but anyway, I just I was just laughing at myself because it wasn't until this watch, no, the previous watch, where I was like, ah, <laughs> that's where it comes from. Comes from. <laughs> yeah, so I never paid attention the first time, and now I'm just like, oh, okay, okay. Well, the smell, uh, Hannibal's super ability to smell is something that comes over from Silence of the Lambs too. Because in that scene where he first meets Clarice, he can smell oh, that she was wearing perfume, but not today. Like, I must love that line where he's like, and sometimes you wear blah, 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 but not today. And I just love that. I'm like, whoa. But uh, also, do you ever read the book Perfume? It's about a serial killer uh, who in the... Saw the trailer for the movie. Oh, yeah, the book is so much better. But in the, in the book, in the 17th century, this kid um, is bizarre and ostracized, ostracized from his village because he has no scent. So he everyone's freaked out by him. And so he discovers that he has the ability to smell like the most beautiful scents. Like so he becomes this famous perfumer, but the best scents come from the girls he kills. So it's like it, it's a Hannibal thing. So I guess a lot of our reader or a lot of our <laughs> listeners would really like it. But it's really bizarre because like the first time he finds out this girl, he smells the most beautiful thing in the world and it, it leads him to this girl's hair. And so he kills her and uh, starts infusing her hair so that he can make the perfect scent and it just takes off in Paris like because everybody wants that scent Why didn't he just cut off her hair? <laughs> I know like right. she wasn't looking and was like, it's like huh. <laughs> I'm not sure like it was something that probably came up, but I forgot it But it's I kind of have to do something with like the root and the oils mm. in the hair and oh, It's better sense. if it's if it's still in the scalp. I imagine it's probably more intact and he can use that better if, you know, if I had to speculate, <laughs> well, do you know that perfume smells this, um, different on everybody else? Like because of your pH balance and such. Like a perfume that smells good on JJ will not smell good on me. Will not smell good on my sister. You know what I mean? Like it, it's bizarre because like the the stuff my sister likes using will smell overpowering on me because I have such like a I don't know like a stink cloud. I guess. <laughs> but it's so bizarre because I love the. I love perfume, but it, putting it on me just like oh, has the most insane. Yeah, that's funny. I actually asked my husband about that one time because I was like, you know, I was working out. I said, do I smell? Do I have to take a shower right away, or can I just sit here? And he's like, he smells me. He's like, he's like, no, you're all right. He's <laughs> like, you're like a, you're like a Coke Zero. <laughs> Chemically smelling. <laughs> he's like, you're very light. It's like very, and I was like, Coke Zero. He's like, yeah. And he's like, you're just very. Scented. He's like, I'm sure if you sat there for three days, yeah, you would smell like a coke. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so romantic. <laughs> That's my husband. But yeah, like I actually looked it up to see if you actually can have that superpower of smelling somebody, and you can. Um, and if you tr- if you trained your nose, you actually can sniff diseases if you wanted to. Apparently, diabetes smells the sweetest. Mm-hmm. Ironically. Well, <laughs> But yeah, like stuff like that. You can actually smell different cancers. You can smell diabetes and like stuff like that. So. Well, they have like cancer sniffing dogs now and stuff like that. Like it's bizarre. Like cause, um, like uh, I guess the biological process of of uh, of tumors being created in you probably gives off some sort of smell while they eat, like while they eat your your flesh, basically. And so it's like, wow, I really want to find out more about that. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> Speaking of, I just got back from New York and I was so happy not to see any rats while I was there. <laughs> so I just bring this up because we're talking about animals, but like, oh, <laughs> like every time we were in the subway, I was like, okay, we're gonna see a rat. A rat's gonna fall on me. It's gonna fall on my neck. And like, um, so I was terrified the whole time I was there. Rats are pretty cute, but I don't think I know how to react if there's a rat that fell on me. <laughs> I know. I just like like I don't have long hair, but I'd be like, it's in my hair. It's in my hair. <laughs> <laughs> I just finished watching a documentary on Netflix on rats uh, by Morgan Spurlock, and it's like, yeah, rats are usually you know full of disease and whatnot. But oh it's gosh. like if you if you're if you relatively stay away from the spots that you would find them, you should be okay. Like they won't be around a whole bunch of people. They'll be around like garbage, uh, around the cracks and some of the sidewalks and the sewer. So if you're you know, stay away from their stomping ground. You won't really see them. So, but there's um, they are also super intelligent for their size too. I remember. Uh, well, and they also have a good sense of smell because um, they use uh, larger rats in Africa to locate landmines because they're so they're light enough that they won't set them off like a dog would. But it's really like I, I I admire rats, but I hate them. Like Hannibal would torture me with one probably. <laughs> like that scene in 1984 at the end where Winston is tortured by a rat. That part is like I had nightmares about that for like two years. <laughs> Like, no, no. So let's talk about our killer in this episode. <laughs> I wrote <laughs> notes. <laughs> well, this killer is, um, I, I like the, I like the mirroring between Bella's case and the angel, kill, the angel maker. Mm -hmm. Um, just because it is, like, setting up the, the idea that Bella is, uh, gonna either have doctor-assisted suicide or, um, let herself go to the point where she will be killed by the cancer. Mm. Not by the chemo, but by like the the increase in cancer, I guess. I'm trying to find the right word in my head. But yeah, like uh, the Angel Maker was a really scary killer for this one. Like not scary, but really sympathetic and really sad. Because mm -hmm. he has the same situation as Bella where he just closes himself off from his family and decides that he has to do this alone. Well, not has to do this alone, but he won't do it in front of other people. But do you think the... the um, the seeing people on fire was something that happened before or after the cancer? Thoughts? <laughs> Feels to me like something that was an onset from the cancer. Like, yeah, uh, his, I agree. Uh, his brain tumor did something. Um, I do like they add that little bit of weird, um, I guess, paranormal in there because he only sees your face on fire if you're evil or something, or they hinted <laughs> at that because you don't find out until later like those he killed were actually like bad people. So they're like, is he a vigilante? <laughs> so like, I don't know, like it's weird. Like I like how they hinted at, but they don't tell you, they don't confirm it nor deny it for you. It's whatever you want it to be. Mm -hmm. It's still pretty cool because I really thought that was one of my favorite visual effects is people's faces on fire. Yeah, that was pretty cool. Was, and also because um, you know when he like walks past that couple, like their their faces on fire, it's almost like because um, he hasn't killed before, and that's why I think maybe that's um when he started killing now that's um, from the tumor that's started mm -hmm. like forming his brain yeah i think the yeah the cancer was it, was it brain uh yeah brain cancer yes because yes, bella cancer, has the yeah. lung yeah yeah let's see um, brain tumor yeah. brain tumor yeah it's also foreshadowing something else so we won't say <laughs> but you'll see later anyway um i i was suspecting that bella was plotting to die in some way um i i really was getting the feeling that she didn't want to be a living corpse by going through chemo. Um, yeah, I can understand that. can also understand her resentment of Jack, who 
is being really perfect, the perfect husband. Like, I, I you, you'll tell me when you're ready, blah, blah, blah. Like, you want, like, I think she wanted him to blow up at her so she could feel justified in her, her resentment towards him. Mm-hmm. Like, cause she wants, she's like, okay, I feel guilty for resenting you when you're being perfect. And I wish you'd blow up at me and t- like shake me to tell you what's going on so I could feel justified in my resentment. Cause it's, um, like my mom has kidney disease and it's it's like well not terminal i don't want to say that like but she like if she gets a kidney she'll be better but like it's been an ongoing process and it's, people always think that people who go through illnesses will always be like the perfect saints and like deal with their illnesses in such a nice way and it's really refreshing to see bella deciding like i don't want to have to go through that mm. i don't want to have to go through chemo i don't want my friends to see me degrade and i want to do this my own way and so I really like that they're so honest with how she's portrayed. Like that she, yeah, you could see it as a selfish choice, but it's her choice. She doesn't want to have people see her suffer. Mm-hmm. But I also broke my heart when um, Jack is like, and I have no I have no choice in this. And she's like, well, you're being selfish now. It's your choice. <laughs> <laughs> like maybe if they had kids, but I don't know. Like it's, this whole story is making me sad now. I want to go watch it now and be like, oh no. This is such good acting. Do you think Bella was, was depressed? I think she was. Because she didn't want to like find help to get better. Mm-hmm. And she just probably felt like alone because Jack is always working as well. Well, and I think too, um, what the impression I got from Bella was she she obviously doesn't want to die. Like she she has that job at, at NATO, I think. Sorry, somebody sneezed on there. <laughs> <laughs> it was next door. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so Bella has that job at NATO, I think. Uh, I think Jack mentions it. So she has like a full life. And I don't think she wants to die. And she's really angry. She has no one to direct her anger at. It's a, it's a common thing with illness that you can't be angry at, like as, as Bella says, you can't be angry at cancer for being cancer. So I'll be angry at whatever I can lash out, lash out on. In this case, it's Jack. Mm-hmm. So it's, um, I think she was depressed too. Like she was just like, like so sad, like in a bittersweet way. Bittersweet, I don't wanna keep saying that, but she's so beautiful in her sadness, I think. I don't know, it's like I a think, painting. I think that's like a nice tragic thing too, is like whenever, or at least when you see characters, say they have cancer or something in shows, sometimes they're either like, they, they can go in so many directions on how they'll react, whereas Bella does it with such grace, and she's so intellectual when she's talking to Hannibal about it in therapy, and it's just like, like if I ever get it, <laughs> I hope I'm, I'm just as beautiful as you. <laughs> it's just like, yeah. Well, it's something that reminded me, me and JJ know this uh, lovely filmmaker named Roxine Whitebeam. Um, oh, she yeah. has a documentary she did um, called Thunder Blanket, which was about her struggle with breast cancer, and how. Uh, well, what, a spoiler alert: she like um, she was having people having difficulty having it diagnosed because no one would believe like a, a, a young woman would develop breast cancer so young, and so it was a really cool story to see her go through everything on camera, and not 
tried to hide behind that, like, well, I'm tough, I'm strong, blah. And so she talks about having problems with her family, having problems with money, having problems with losing her hair, mm. which is, like, something I'm, like, I'm all about short hair, so I'm, like, yeah, it's okay, she, like, blah, it'll grow back, but then went to see her lose her hair was so heartbreaking for me. Like, even though I'm, like, oh, yeah, I'd shave my head in a second if that were me, but it's something that I, like, where we, we can see how people react to cancer. It's not always, like, oh, I can't do this together. Yeah. It's like, no, it's going to be hard, and I might die. Like, I love seeing people react in a normal way. Like, no Hollywood movie. Mm. Like, not the Hollywood movie of cancer, where you're, like, where, like, the movie Philadelphia, basically. Like, you know, where it's, like, a, oh, it's an inspiring story of me dealing with my illness. I'm like, well, I want to see people be angry, be sad, be mad at God for what they did. And so it's... I don't know. I like Bella. I don't know. That's a double-edged sword, man. I've seen it. It's it's brutal. Like yep. like uh, uh, I've known someone who's had cancer, but I guess they didn't share it for a very long time. So out of nowhere, like within a month, they were sick, hospital, gone, like within a month. Yeah. And the family drama around it, and just like it's harsh. It was brutal. Like it's burned in my mind today. So it's like that's what I find interesting when I see uh, cancer stories in the in media. It's always about the journey, about them trying to fight the illness or family members and all this, whereas, like, this happened within my family, and I was like, we didn't even get to do any of that. It was, bam, bam, done, gone. Yeah, that happened to me with my grandmother. My um, grandma used to chew tobacco a lot, and she developed throat cancer. But since she had to take care of my grandfather, she was like, I don't have time for this. I didn't tell anybody. Then, like, when she developed a stroke and was in the hospital for a while, she knew that the, the cancer was getting worse, so she's like, okay, I'm going to die now. And so she just, like, shut it off like a light, basically. But I'm saying it more simply, but it's, like, she didn't want us to see, she didn't want us to have to take care of her, is the impression I got. And it's something that I'm, like, because um, it's, cancer doesn't just affect the person who has it, it affects everybody in their life. Yeah. And I like this episode for portraying that with uh, the angel maker and with Bella. Bella in a more positive way, I guess, and the angel maker in the in the more negative way because he goes into well, I think I think with the angel maker that's the worst case scenario yeah. <laughs> it's a brain tumor and it's making me see fire and want to kill people I so. think that would be the scariest type of cancer though because it's um I, I discussed before we started recording that this episode was the scariest one for me as a person because Will obviously knows something's wrong with him mm. but he doesn't know what and so there's that scene where he's he's, he's lying in bed and it's 5 a.m. He looks away from the clock for a second, closes his eyes, and he's outside on the, like, the veranda, right? Or whatever. He's on top of his porch, anyway. On his roof. On his roof, yeah. Yeah. And the dogs are barking frantically. Obviously, for a while, it Mm. seems like. They've probably been going for, like, half an hour. And it's really scary, because I, I, like, as we go further and further into the show with more and more of this happening, it's, like, the scariest part for me when you don't know what's going wrong wrong with you you know yourself the most so when that happens it's like oh my god like did i just sleepwalk down the street why am i naked here right now (laughs) i'm not but (laughs) but i think this the idea of not being in control of yourself is the scariest part of hannibal for me like will's descent into his mental illness is something that's scary because it could happen like, you're not going to meet, hopefully you won't meet a cannibal in your real life who wants to kill you because you were rude to him. But it's very easy to develop, like, very easy. It's in the realm of possibility to develop 
brain cancer. Like, I'm, um, there was a moment where I, uh, there was a three-month scare where I had, uh, po there was a possibility I had a tumor on my uh, thyroid gland, mm. and three months waiting for an MRI oh, was the, a thank you Canada health, but, <laughs> so three months waiting for the MRI to find out if I had a tumor, and luckily I didn't, but that was, like, the worst three months, because you're, like, because uh, I, uh, I take medication that also gives me weird dreams, so I was, like, thinking that the dreams were the result of the tumor, so I'm, like, it's a cannibal, so... But it's like, uh, I don't know, it's, this is the scariest part. Mm -hmm. Like, as we go further with Will in this season, this is the scariest stuff of the show. Does he do any more sleepwalking? I, I know this is a, I feel like we might spoil it for Celeste, but I don't think so. Does I he think he does a few time, a few more times. Does he? Okay. To me, this feels the most prominent episode where it really showcases his sleepwalking. And I was just thinking, like, have I ever sleepwalked? And I go, yes. I did when I was, when I was younger. There was a couple episodes where I would sleepwalk. Obviously, I don't remember it. <laughs> I go my stories off of my siblings. My brother one time said he woke up to go use the washroom, and I was standing in the hallway, like, after he came out of the bathroom. <laughs> oh, my gosh. And I was like, jeez. Like, Sounds like the like, conjuring. Like, what are you doing? Go back to bed. And then he was like, you know, looks at me like, oh, crap. She's asleep. So he's like, he took me by the shoulders and pushed me back towards my bed. And he's like, go to sleep. <laughs> yeah, he kind of just gave me a nudge, and apparently I went back to sleep. And apparently I did that to my mom, which I don't remember. My mom said she was like sleeping, and then she just sees me like at the edge of her bed. She's like, "Ha!" <laughs> she's like, "What are you doing? Up? Go back to bed." And then she saw that I wasn't awake. Awake. So she's like, "Okay." <laughs> so that's only twice that I got, but apparently I might have been a sleepwalker. Well, sleepwalking is pretty common in kids. Yeah. Uh, it's very rare in adults. Um, uh, it's they're often interrelated with nightmares. Mm -hmm. uh, so uh, since kids' brains are still developing around the ages where the, when sleepwalking happens, it's probably due to like all the messed up neurons firing and stuff and trying to figure out what your brain needs that results in it. Uh, but sleepwalking in men often leads to aggression. So like it's pretty dangerous to be around them when they're sleepwalking. Which is probably why Will, you know, finally tells off Jack. Yeah. It's this wonderful <laughs> moment, right? Yeah. Yes. Did I just hear that? <laughs> what would he say? I can't remember. I think he's like, he's like uh, I didn't just hear that. And yeah, it's like, oh, I think I said it like earlier in an episode. It's like, Jack, you're the head of you know, behavioral it's sciences. If you don't like my answers, come up with some of your own. And everyone's like, oh. I just love how everybody just walks, walks away, away really fast. <laughs> Because, uh, yeah, like, Will is really, as we said, Will is really observant this episode. And I think he, did, because of, like, the sleepwalking and the, the stress of not knowing what's going on with him, he does lash out at Jack. Probably due to prompting by Hannibal, too. Because you can see, you can yeah. see the look in Jack's face, like, oh, this is what Hannibal was talking about. Will's going off the edge. <laughs> so, well, freaking Hannibal is, yeah, is manipulating everybody. Like, but mm -hmm. also, like, Jack also does his fair share of manipulating. Yeah. Like, at the very end of the show, like, he, he says to him, He's like, you know, people will die. It'll sour your classroom if you stop working. And then he's like, you want to quit? Quit. And I'm just like, you're such a dick. Which is a little <laughs> blow because it's like, um, like, maybe Will doesn't save somebody this time. Like, is that his fault? Yeah, exactly. It's yeah. like he puts that entire thing on his shoulders and it's just like. Yeah, that's the only time I didn't like Jack was because he is, that was low because he, like, okay, people are going to die if you don't help us. And I'm like, no, no, people are gonna die anyway because you you get will when people have died. Yeah, it's like it's not like he really stops them. <laughs> yeah, it's like uh, like who did has he stopped so far? The pharmacist. The well, I guess he saved Abigail. I yeah, guess. he said Abigail. <laughs> oh, but that's to true. what end? <laughs> 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 
one. Because she's living in, like, uh, Hannibal's house, like, which is basically, like, that world in Silent Hill 4 where, like, Alyssa Calypsi appears and stuff. It's, a, it's a, like, you have, have you ever imagined what it would be like to live with Hannibal? Like, um, yeah. it would be like, <laughs> not in that way. Change your space. But there's that scene in uh, the movie Sleeping with the Enemy where uh, Julia Roberts plays this uh, abused wife of this really obsessive compulsive man. And there's a scene where um, he has towels uh, with, the, with the pattern all matched up in the same row and she has to do that every single time or he'll beat the crap out of her or like all the stuff in the cabinet has to be perfect or he'll beat the crap out of her and I'm like that's Hannibal's house because uh, if I touched Hannibal's weird like guitar stuff like he would be mad and if I touched his weird like mushroom farm he'd be mad <laughs> well I don't know if he'd be mad he'd just be like okay that's rude Sonia you're gonna die. <laughs> I'm gonna eat you. No. I'm gonna eat you now. <laughs> you know it's funny, like I like how you mentioned that, like it has to be perfectly lined up and all this and that. I remember when I was a kid and used to poke around like in my parents' room or in my brother's room, I'd make a visual picture picture of what everything looked like before I touched it. And then I would spend like five minutes after I was done, you know, digging around. I'd, I'd put everything back exactly how I so I even used to bring a pencil and be like <laughs> Like, I doubt anybody noticed, but still, that was me just like, you're such a sneaky kid. (laughs) Yeah, it was was a pain in the ass for my parents. I feel so bad. (laughs) I used to do that. Okay, uh, confession time. I used to do that with pornography. (laughs) <laughs> well, I say it like that, porno. Like, I match the tape of the tape. Like, because, like, uh, all these tapes are being passed around, right? So I'm like, I don't want people to know I watch that stuff. So I'm like, exact match of where the tape left off. Speaking of, um, I don't know if this was just a common thing amongst you guys, but did, did the boys in your hometown ever hide porn in the woods? I think so. Yeah. yeah. I think it happened. One up north. Yeah. <laughs> up north. Because me and Celeste are from up north. And when I, uh, my least favorite cousin hid his pornography stash outside of his house and I found out about it. So I was like, okay. And so I went and hid it. And he was so angry for the next four days and wouldn't tell anybody why. <laughs> so I was like, yeah. <laughs> That's my little Hannibal manipulation of the months. <laughs> But it was like bizarre. I'm like, but yeah, I agree with you, Juju. Whenever I'd go sneak for Christmas presents around Christmas, I'd always make sure the bag was wrinkled in exactly the right thing. <laughs> no one notices, but you do. It's like, oh, it's like, even if somebody said, like, uh, like, Sonia, did you go look through his presents? And I'd be like, no, like, the bag was just right there. Innocent halo. <laughs> <laughs> but then it's funny that you mentioned that. I actually used to do that too. We've all done it. I love it too. Like he, he disguised his one VHS tape to look like a, like a sports tape. <laughs> now, to be fair, I discovered it was porn by accident because <laughs> I was looking for blank tapes because I was I was still doing the filmmaker thing back in the day, and I was using my dad's old VHS camera. So I was looking for blank tapes. So what do you do? <laughs> and I played it, and I was like, oh. <laughs> Save that bad boy for later. <laughs> <laughs> <Not> so Mark, <laughs> I I don't know if my, my if my brother ever noticed, but I was just like, yeah, that's kind of where I discovered a lot of, a lot of stuff. Well, I I haven't uh, found a porn stash before, except when I was a kid. Me and my best friend found like a whole box of like old Playboys behind a, like a dumpster. <laughs> The box was was marked use the porn. (laughs) That was like so old fashioned. 
I did not touch it. <laughs> oh, okay. Oh my god. That oh my god. That, that reminds me, I used to work for a fish hatchery in my hometown, and like, the only guys worked there. So, of course, the, the bathroom was all for, like, it was unisex, right? Go in there my first day, and it's just full of penthouse magazines. And, pen, like, at least Playboy is, like, classy. Penthouse was like basically yeah. you see like a you'd open one page and there'd be an asshole looking right at you. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like just bizarre, like because I was um I was wondering about that like like uh, Abigail living in Hannibal's house, would she find stuff like that in the house? Does oh Hannibal God. have porn? Yeah, that's what I'm wondering. Does he have baser urges? Baser urges. <laughs> I can't I said that. Is Hannibal a sexual being? Is what I'm asking now. You know, in my mind, I always imagined if he ever had it, he'd be like any other male. It would be like morning wood, right? And he'd probably deal with it in the shower because that's the quickest thing. Clean it up. What he imagines, I could not even guess. Like, you'd have to ask Brian Foy what this version of Hannibal thinks about. But I think he is one of those, one of those uh, odd ducks who doesn't always necessarily get off on the basic sexual thing or even the most extreme sexual things. Like, he, he gets off on power, but in a different way. Not in a sexual sense. Yeah, it's not always in a sexual way. Like, I'm sure, like I said, he probably, you know, every once in a while gets the, the you know, and he's got to deal with that. <laughs> but, like, because you, uh, you know, you see later stuff in the show, you know, he, you know, stuff happens. He, he is a male, <laughs> so we'll get there. But is he, I think he's asexual in a way. I agree too. Yeah. I think that, that's been the main argument is a lot of people say like, yeah, he's probably like asexual. Like it's just like I think like with any asexual person, at least that I've seen, they they still experiment to see if that's a, okay. <laughs> <laughs> are you? Yeah. Oh I did not know yeah. that. <laughs> I think so I'm are you know. I'm not sure. <laughs> but yeah, well anyway, as I've read and seen, um, obviously they're gonna experiment once or twice for or maybe more, maybe less. To see if they even like it, does anything for them, and I think he probably discovered that early on. You know, maybe in his early school days. That's like, not for him. It's yeah. not for him. He doesn't get anything from it, and then we. So. Well, if I were to go the, that Hannibal will is non-platonic, uh, it would be a relationship based around um, a thought and psychology. Because I think Hannibal likes Will for his mind, which is bizarre since he's so dancey and cute as hell. But <laughs> <laughs> okay, random, random aside from New York, I was gonna steal a big poster of the path from the subway of Hugh Dancy, <laughs> but I say my dad was trying to stop me because he's like, "Where are you gonna put that? It's bigger than your apartment." And I'm like, "I will find a way. I'll cut it out." <laughs> so, but there's these things are hard to get out. <laughs> I was just, just trying, and people were looking at me, and I'd love to see that. I need it back home. <laughs> but yeah, like, do you think Jack is a or uh, Jack? Do you think Will is asexual, or what is his leanings? I think he's full on straight. I really think he is. It's but at the same time, I feel like he's comfortable in his own. Well, okay, that's not right. <laughs> he's comfortable enough in his own sexuality, is what I'll say. Uh, you know, he's an intellectual, you know, like, it doesn't really concern him that much because of the, because of who he is as a person. Um, that if he w found himself ever attracted to a male, it prob he'd probably be like, okay. That's all right. <laughs> and, prob and probably, like, experiment with it. You know, if he was more a functional human being, <laughs> I'm sure, like, he probably would have done that. Which is where I think a lot of the, the, the hanagram comes from, the pairing. 
where it's just like, yeah, they, they would make a cute couple, but at the same time, yeah, if you really want to pay attention to the actual canon of the show, yeah, Hannibal's probably like asexual, and Will's probably a uh, straight male, or what's the, what's the new term for it? Cis? Cis? Cisnet? I can't remember. Cisgender? I don't know. I say straight. Yeah. <laughs> well, I don't want to sound ignorant or it, but like it's just a new, new heterosexual. Thing. Well, that's the weird thing, right? Cisgender means you you identify as the gender you came out, you were born with, and you are heterosexual. I think that's what. Look for Well, speaking of relationships. Um, I love uh, Beverly and Will's interaction in this episode. It's so cute. I love it too. They are so adorable. I just love that. Like, uh, I thought it was really sweet, as I mentioned before, that when she told him to tell her if he was sick. Like, because she couldn't tell, like, she she says so, well, I don't know what that drumming is. <laughs> I think my ancestors are calling me. <laughs> Mom? <laughs> In real life, though, it's because there's a ceremony going on outside. Yeah, that's not that's what the drumming is next door. Uh, we are, our podcast is next door to a native college, and I think that's what that drumming is, is a ceremony. So we obviously can't ask them to keep it down. So <laughs> Could you, you pound lou- a lower, please? <laughs> so if you hear a, a pounding in the, in the background, uh, our apologies, but, you know, that's the way it goes. Oh, could you imagine how terrible it would be for us to go out there and say, please stop your ceremony. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> uh, look up the history of We're Canadian. Doing a, <laughs> We're doing a podcast. The Look up the history of Canadian Indigenous people to know why we're laughing about that. <laughs> but anyway, yeah. Yeah, if you don't have a sense of humor about it, you're going to freaking cry. So. Yeah, that's why Will is going crazy. <laughs> but, but yeah, like, I really love that Will is trying to... Uh, Will is making that connection with Bev, I find. Like, he didn't tell her that he's sick, but he, she could surmise it. Um, and I like that they had that earlier interaction of Bev where uh, she quoted John Morrison. And he got it. Yeah, I thought that was cute. But uh, so we, uh, since I wasn't able to do the under the table true crime corner today, uh, JJ happily stepped in because she is as uh, obsessed with true crime as I am. I am, which is bizarre to say obsessed with true crime. I find it interesting because it. Um, it sort of makes sense of the world because like all these crimes we we are interested in, like the Zodiac, Jack the Ripper. Um, Jeffrey Dahmer, like Ted Bundy. Bundy. Yeah, it's like it helps you make sense of the world because you're like, okay, these guys are nuts. <laughs> so you're like, okay, I'll just make sure that I don't hang around with crazy people. But yeah, it's like really fun that me and JJ are so into this. But yeah, take it away, girl. <laughs> okay. Well, I just got a couple of notes uh, for uh, a little bit of uh, history on skinning, since that's what our killer does mostly in this episode. Uh, so, like I said, uh, the technical term is called flaying. Uh, was a method of slow and painful execution in which skin is removed from the body. Generally, an attempt is made to keep the removed portion of skin intact. Flaying of humans is used as a method of torture or execution depending on how much skin is removed. This is often referred to as flaying alive. There's also records of people flayed after death, generally, generally as a means of debasing the corpse of a prominent enemy or criminal, sometimes related to religious beliefs, sometimes skin is used again for deterrence, magical uses, uh, example, scalping. <laughs> Dermatologist Ernest D. Young notes that the typical causes of death due to flame are shock, critical loss of blood or other bodily fluids, hypothermia, or infections. 
death can often occur from a few hours to a few days after fleeing. Yeah, it's painful, but you yeah. don't die from it. <laughs> yeah, I thought, that sucks. So, well, think of the hangnail. Think of the hangnail. <laughs> so, uh, the true crime that I found was uh, the true serial killer, Ed Gein, um, born in 1906 and lived all the way to 1984. Um, he is what inspired uh, many film characters like Norman Bates of Psycho, Jane Gum of Silence of the Lambs, and Leatherface of Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Ed Gein was obsessively devoted to his mother, a religious fanatic. After her death, Gein began robbing graves, keeping body parts as trophies, supposedly practicing necrophilia, and experimenting with human taxidermy. He then turned to murder, having been convicted of at least two murders in 1957. Uh, Ed Gein was the second born of two sons. His father was an alcoholic who was unable to keep stable work, which always seems to be a trend, I find. Mm -hmm. uh, his mother was very religious. She used their isolated farm as a way to keep her sons from being influenced by the outside world. She preached the innate immortality, immor immortality, immorality. That's like, yeah, we live forever. Immorality of the world, the evil of drinking and the belief that all women were naturally prostitutes and instruments of the devil. Except for her. Yeah, <laughs> evidently. Uh, shortly after Ed's father died of heart failure from alcoholism, Ed and his brother took on odd jobs to support the home. And shortly after this, Ed's brother died of heart failure, too, during the burning of uh, marsh vegetation. Later on, it was speculated that Ed had killed his brother. They can't prove it, because no one did any of that cop work properly. But I remember reading that the reason why they suspected it is because uh, his brother had uh, a head injury uh, when they found him. But of course they're like, oh, maybe a tree fell on him or something. Yeah, I know they came up with all these really dumb things, and they say it's like it's like a Cain and Abel aspect of it. Well, his mom, uh, he was trying to promote more independence from his mom, and Ed was like, no, we gotta keep mom happy. Mm -hmm. And so he's like, he's gotta die now. <laughs> so Ed took care of his mother. She had two heart attacks, dying shortly after the second one. Ed Gein is quoted as saying he had lost his only friend and one true love, and he was absolutely alone in the world. On November 16, 1957, Bernice Warden disappeared. Police found that Gein was the last to be seen with her, uh, so they went to his farm, and they found Warden's decapitated body in a shed, hung upside down by ropes at her wrists with a crossbar, crossbar at her ankles. Their torso was dressed like a deer. She was shot with a .22 caliber rifle, and the mutilations were made post-mortem. So she was killed like uh, Abigail's father killed his ladies, sounds like. Yeah. Shout out to the show! <laughs> <laughs> so my last bit of notes. Uh, what they found, so afterwards, you know, the police searched the house, and this is some of the things they found. I, I didn't have enough room in this book to write everything I found. <laughs> uh, whole human bones and fragments, wastebasket made of human skin, human skin covering several chair seats, skulls on his bedposts, bowls made from human skulls, a corset made from a female torso, skin from shoulder to waist, which is probably, you know, where uh, Silence of the Lambs one comes from. Leggings made from human leg skin. Masks made from the skin of female heads. Leather face, not for that movie. Uh, Warden's heart, uh, Bernice, Bernice Warden's heart was in a bag in front of the stove. Nine vulvae in a shoebox. A lampshade made from the skin of a human face. Oh my gosh. Lovely, eh? <laughs> it's probably our best podcast after <laughs> Cancer. <laughs> People. Skin everywhere. Oh, 
but uh, I, I remember hearing this in the last podcast on the last episodes on Edgeen. Um, the only thing that the they found out the cops when they came to search Edgeen's house found that Edgeen's mother's rooms were were locked were so off. Pristine, yeah. No, they were locked off, and so they're like, "Oh my God, what's gonna be behind these doors once we put them down?" And they open it up, and they hadn't, and they obviously hadn't been touched since she died. And I was, and everybody was just terrified they were gonna find like her body or something yeah. in there. Norman <laughs> Bates. Yeah. Yeah, like uh, you should really watch Texas Chainsaw Massacre because it sounds gory, but it, they all since the the budget was so low budget, they couldn't afford to actually kill someone on screen with a chainsaw because it would look it's really like that effective horror where you don't see everything like mm. the the uh, ref- the suggestion is put there like you you see the meat hook you see the girl's back going towards it you don't have to see her on the meat hook to know what's happening and it's like <laughs> so but it was a really good movie I love that movie it's scary really terrifying but yeah Ed Gein's my least favorite serial killer no Ted Bundy's probably there but <laughs> But I love Ed Gein's, uh story. It's really inspired a lot of really good fiction. Sons of the Lambs being the big one. <laughs> but let's see. Uh, do you believe that Jack's guilt trip... Uh, do you think that Will would ever quit the job after Jack's guilt trip? Like, do you think he would ever quit the job on his own volition? In Red Dragon, he does when he comes back. I think if he wasn't... It's hard to say because, like, this is like a well, you know, it's an alternate universe with Hannibal, right? Um, I think if he never met Hamill, he might have. I really think he might have, especially with uh, you know all the craziness going on in his head, and no one, that additional person not to manipulate him. Like I, I don't know, he's become better friends with Beverly. Maybe Beverly would have stepped in at some point. And been like Hannibal's kind of weird. Yeah, or yeah. Lana would have said like, you know, something's wrong here. Like you know, mm-hmm. but yeah, because Hannibal's a dick. Yeah, <laughs> I think yeah, maybe he would have. I don't know. It's hard to say. How about you, JJ or um, Celeste? Do you think that <laughs> he would quit? Oh well, yeah, it's hard to say. I mean, I would have quit. <laughs> <laughs> it's like geez. Yeah. But um, but like Will doesn't really know how to stand up for himself. Well, kind of. He tied in in this episode, but he kind of like went back in his like little. Let's be friends at the end. Because he, he, he stood up to Jack, and then he, like, the moment, like, Jack became, like, you know, like, he yelled at him, he, like, went a step back. Well, it's, yeah, that was really sad, because I was like, oh, he can't even stand up for himself when he's pissed and psychotic. <laughs> it's not so weird, too. It's like, like, how he says to Will, I'm not your father, Will. You know, and I was like, low No, I just thought, like... That's so interesting. Like they, they mentioned early on that yeah, like I bet Jack is like a this weird paternal figure to Will. Mm-hmm. You know, that's probably why he he lets Jack talk to him the way he does. It's just you know he's he's your boss or whatever. Like or at least for me, like whenever I had some female bosses and some male bosses, automatically the, the there's a weird paternal or maternal thing that happens. Oh yeah. Some of them, not all of them, obviously, but like uh, like my. One boss, uh, Larry, <laughs> he, he, he's actually a family friend, and I grew up with him, so he was like, you know, like a paternal boss, and he looked after us, so that was good. And then my last female boss when I worked at the university, yeah, she was like, she, she did so many stuff that reminded me of my mother, so I was like, that's probably why I liked her. <laughs> well, I, I remember uh, when I, crazy. <laughs> my, uh, my ex-boyfriend uh, was kind of a psycho. And so my very, very first boss I ever had in my real job was this woman named Brenda. And Brenda, I was like, I, I went up to Brenda and I was like, okay, 
I don't think anything will ever happen, but just in case, like, I want you to know, like, I, I am going through the situation, blah, blah, blah. And she was so, like, I was expecting her to be like, okay, well, don't bring it to work. But she was, like, totally wondering what was going on, how she could help. And I really appreciated that because it was the first time I'd ever been in the adult world. So she set that example of bosses for me that it's okay to have that sort of relationship like not like to the point where she was like bringing me lunch or something but like to the point where she actually cared about me as a person and not just as her like subordinate mm -hmm. so it's just like um, I think that that is a healthy relationship in Will's case it's kind of uh, Jack is using him mm -hmm. because of mm -hmm. that but it's still like I think it's um I think Jack or Will really needs somebody looking out for him because in the Red Dragon book his wife uh, Molly is like because uh, Red Dragon takes place technically about four or five years after Hannibal's arrested in the, in the context of the Thomas Harris universe and Will is um, nearly killed by the Red Dragon and his wife uh, and Jack are at the hospital and Jack is gonna give Molly a letter from Hannibal Lecter to Will and his wife is like no he's like he doesn't need that right now <laughs> so she actually like tells him to get rid of it and it's just a letter telling telling Will that Hannibal hopes he's not that ugly after the dragon scarred his face. And I'm like, you bastard! <laughs> so, <laughs> it was really low, because it's like, uh, I really like um, the Red Dragon movie, because there's that scene where Will's on the on the boat with his wife reading the letter from Hannibal, mm. and Hannibal's like, because uh, Hannibal in the, in the movie stabs him at the beginning of the movie when Will starts to figure out who Hannibal is. Hannibal's like, okay, you gotta die. So he sneaks up behind him and stabs him in the in the in the side, and that starts the events of the movie. And at the end, he's like, um, "You have such a variety of I can't remember the exact words, but you have such a variety of scars. Don't forget who gave you the best of them." And I'm like, "Hannibal, you bastard!" So I just like uh, I like Hannibal at ultimate bastard e. Mm -hmm. I think we start getting into that more in the next episode, but. Yeah, I was gonna say like adding to that, like that's probably the one few times where like I feel like Anthony Hopkins just goes super like creepy, like when he stabs Will in the movie like that, and he's just like and it was really sexual because they were so yeah, close. Yeah, yeah, he's, yeah. He's like, he's like, I don't want you to feel any pain. Like and he's, and he's as twisting he, as he penetrates him with a knife. <laughs> like you can feel all the metaphors going on. And he's like, I don't want you to feel any pain. And, like, <laughs> and then Will falls to the floor and he's like, um, one of my favorite lines that I wish they kept in the sh in Hannibal the show is Will, uh, Hannibal's like about to do the killing stroke on him and uh, he says to Will, it's like, clever boy, I think I'll eat your heart. Mm. And I'm like, I want that so bad in the show, if they bring it back, give me that line. But because it was like, he specifies what he's going to eat and I'm like, that was so cold. <laughs> but man, we got to get together and watch that. <laughs> But okay, well, bonus episode. Yeah, we'll have a bonus episode. <laughs> but okay, so we're at the end of the show here. Mm. Um, well, one last thing. So the final conversation where Jack's in his office, uh, looking sad after he finds out that Bella is ill, Will comes in and just sits there and waits for Jack to talk. Does Will know through Hannibal? Does he just sense something's wrong, or does everybody know? Like I, I thought it was just that Will senses something was wrong. I think, yeah, uh, Will sent something wrong because that's part of his whole empathy disorder, right? Mm -hmm. He probably noticed that Cha uh, Jack kind of changed gears a little bit in this episode or this whole scenario, this time. Like when they're interviewing um, oh, the, the Angel Maker's, Angel Maker's wife, wife yeah. he notices that he just kind of goes away from there, goes 
the protection behind his desk and just kind of like because yeah. his mind goes somewhere else completely and Will like looks over like where are you going? Well, because it's the you exact know, mirror of what's happening mm-hmm. with Bella. And then, you know, like, any other actor would have been stupid as hell the way, like, it just dawns on him. It's like, oh, my God, this is what's happening with Bella right now. And I think it, if it had been any other actor but him, it would have been, like, kind of, like, well you, well, you still get the camera cue, too, because the camera punches in and, and he's like, in at him. And you can see that realization on his face. So you still get a camera cue to tell. But it was still so subtle that it's like, it still yeah. pulls at the heartstrings. Yeah, I think that was a scene where Will noticed that. And that's probably like, and then, you know, with everything going on with Will and the whole case thing. And then, yeah, I think Will's like, okay, case Something's is done. Wrong. Case is done. Now I can actually, yeah, like, go be his friend. And like, I, I liked how the, uh, <laughs> I have notes. And said right here. Me and Jerry, two lines together. Jack says to Bella, I'm not going anywhere. And then Will says that to Jack. Mm. I'm not going anywhere. Aww. I really like that this shows a lot of character development for Will. Because Will is not just the, like, okay, are we done? Sort of thing. Yeah. Like, you know, like, with Abigail, where he's like, yeah, they only put the chalk down when you're alive when they take you. <laughs> yes, Will, thank you. <laughs> so it's, I like that Will is not, he is not Hannibal. Mm. That's why I like that. Like, they continue to show the differences between them because I, I, that's why I hate Hanagram is that they try to make Will the protege of Hannibal, which, like, which in the books, um, technically Clarice does become the protege of Hannibal. But it's like, Will is his own force. Leave him alone. <laughs> Stop trying to pair them up. <laughs> well, I think that's what they hint at, too, at the possible season four. If one thing that, one route they would do is there would be, like, a very brief moment of they're together, but then. If you know they live, whatever happened, Will would go away. Will would go on his own, and then we'd jump into the Hannibal and Clary storyline. Mm-hmm. Is what the way they would say because the way the Will character is, yeah, he he just the Hannibal thing wouldn't work. Well, in the in the book, um, much, as, much to my dismay, <laughs> in the book, Clary finds out that Will becomes a drunk, and that he is just this, this broken man after his events dealing with Hannibal, and so I really don't want to see that ending for Will because I think he's too perfect. He's too beautiful. We need to protect him. But at the same time, that feels reminiscent to uh, the Lestat and Louis and the Vampire Chronicles, where like Will is Louis, still hanging on to his humanity, and you know Lestat is Hannibal, just pure anger. Well, not anger, but pure like, brat prince, uh, bourgeois, bougie. Is that what I'm looking for, bougie? That's <laughs> right. You know what I mean? <laughs> Coming up with the wrong words. He's a snob. Yeah, like a count. He's count. Like uh, he he is Lestat. But not in the like flamboyancy of Lestat. He's just in the, well, we're killers and this is what we do. So shut up. <laughs> well, not shut up. But it's like this is our nature. Just accept it. Yeah. All right. But so. okay. So final. Uh, we're at the end of the show here. So what was your favorite and least favorite bits of the show today? Celeste. Oh shoot! Okay, <laughs> always on the spot. I turned to a blank page. <laughs> I was going to write down something. Shoot! What was my favorite moment? Because it's always makes me laugh when you ask me what my favorite moment is. Because the show's so dark. Yeah, it's like <laughs> it's, it's such a serious show. So, like someone always dies. It's like which dying part do I like best? <laughs> <I don't know. laughs> but there was a moment. Well, probably. Hmm. You go, JJ. <laughs> Let me think about this. <laughs> Uh, I would probably have to say my favorite part is just uh, Will standing up for himself, mm-hmm. like as hard as that was to do. You know, like it just feels good. It's like that's right. You know, take control, <laughs> Will. 
and then it kind of just goes back to where he was. Like, so I don't know if there was any character progression there, but it was just very satisfying to see him stand up to Jack, just, you know, with all the previous episodes of just, you know, they were bad. Well, I think he needs to realize that Jack needs him and not, uh, not the other way around. Mm-hmm. And what I like, too, is, like, it, it did an interesting thing where kind of Hannibal was kind of like a side note for once in the, in the show, instead of being in the forefront, mm-hmm. and letting the, uh, the, our side characters kind of do a thing for a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's pretty nice. Yeah, yeah. so that's what I kind of like. I'd say the thing I probably didn't like was, I don't know, do I not like it? <laughs> no, there's nothing I don't like about this episode. <laughs> it's a pretty good episode. It's a good killer, good, ki- good monster of the week. Lots of character development. Um, great special effects. Great, uh, you know, with the, the bodies all up with their skins and oh stuff. Oh, that awesome. was so gross when I first saw that. <laughs> that's just, well, my favorite part was... Like Hannibal sniffing well. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That's yeah. what I was going to bring up earlier. That <laughs> <laughs> is a good it just, part. It just made me laugh. And I guess um, my least favorite part was just uh, the whole like Jack like like not caring for Will. Mm-hmm. Like just like because Will tried to stand up for himself and like Jack just kind of like make him back down. And I feel like you know he only sees Will as a tool. Yeah, it's like I take you up when I need you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Like, he doesn't care about his feelings at all. He just wants to use them. Well, he's like, uh, what's Trump's wife's name? He's just the sex of M. Yeah, Melina. I can't remember her name. Anyway, she, that's who she, that's who, um, Jack sees Will as. Like, just this arm candy that he, that he only needs when he, the situation calls for it. <laughs> and Will, like, cares for Jack, too, so it's yeah. so sad. Yeah, it's like, does Jack care for Will? In a way, I guess. Like, um, I don't see it yet. Yeah, I think like it comes up later, but we'll see. Yeah, did he use the pony metaphor yet? Not yet. I don't yeah. think so. So yeah, <laughs> prize pony. Yeah, like yeah. <laughs> oh, but teacup. <laughs> but it's um like my favorite part was obviously Bella and Jack because Bella and it's a part of Jack we haven't seen yet other than when he. I uh, was talking to the kid in the last episode, and this is where we finally see Jack as like at his most subdued, because he can't yell at this problem. Like it's not going to solve it if he just yells at Bella. And so I think it's one of the like uh, knowing what I know going forward, I really lo- I'm looking forward to this part of the show. Even though I was going to be like so depressed about it, I was like, no. Yeah, even though I know it's coming, I'm kind of like, eh, but I'm also like, yay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So to end off the show, what where can we contact you on social media? Alright, so you can find me on Tumblr, Twitter, and Snapchat as JJ Neeps, uh, J-J-N-E-E-P-S, and Instagram as JJ Neepin Films. You can find me on Tumblr and Instagram at Satuma, S-A-T-U-M-W-A-H. And you can find me as Honey Child, Honey underscore Child at Twitter and Tumblr. Uh, Hannibal Sarniabachi also has a SoundCloud, which is, we're getting a lot of really good listens on there, so keep commenting, people. Even though I think we're only being followed yeah. by people who want us to follow them. <laughs> but uh, follow us on Twitter and Tumblr, like, because we keep getting followed by porn blogs for some reason. <laughs> All of us. Um, and we also can be so reached by... <laughs> we can also be reached by email at Hannibal'sHorniHibachi, all one word, at gmail.com. We also have the Twitter, which is HHHibachi on Twitter, which is where we update... Uh, pictures from the podcast, uh, just notes and like random notes about us. Oh, yeah, that's what I was gonna do. I was gonna do a picture right now. I was gonna do um, a selfie picture with us, and then we could post that. And uh, everyone can um, see us. Okay, selfie right, so, time. Oh, one, two, three. <laughs> Perfect. I got <laughs> something. <so good. laughs> yeah, we need a selfie. <laughs> but please like us and subscribe on. Uh, well, comment and subscribe on iTunes. Uh, we 
would love to get into the top 100 if you guys can do that for us. And so, yeah, like, we'll hope to see you next week. All right, bye. 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 bye.